1: Good evening, family,
2: radio listeners. Hallelujah. Thank you so much that your heart is for truth. Your heart is for God. And I love that. And this is just the place to come. If you want truth, this is where you come to. You come to Christian Radio. Hallelujah. This is End Time Insights. I'm Ron Geyer. And we're talking to you about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. There's actually five or six different names in the Bible that are used to describe the kingdom of God. This is our third part. We ended last week, we were talking about who might be going into the kingdom of God, of Christ, the millennial reign. Okay, we're already in the kingdom of God. The Bible says we're already seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. You got your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life. You've punched your ticket for the rapture. Hallelujah. And so God deals with time, not like man. He deals, he's big. He deals with time in ages. Currently, we're in what's called the Church Age, or actually the Church Age is a subgroup underneath the Grace Age, the Age of Grace. And so the Church Age ends at the rapture of the church, but there's another seven years of the Age of Grace, and that's the tribulation period that's included in that. And I just love that. That To me, that just speaks so much of the love and the grace of God that he includes the tribulation period, which is nasty, which is the judgment on Israel and the nations that persecuted Israel. It's a terrible time, and yet that's included under the age of grace. What does that mean to us? Well, what that means to us is that people are still getting saved. Truth be told, in the early years of that tribulation period, we're going to see the largest incoming into the church, the largest ingathering, as it were, that the earth has ever seen. It's going to be awesome. All the people that missed the rapture, that thought they were Christians, they'll be repenting. All the people that were religious, that thought they knew God, were going to be repenting. Plus, you've got the ministry of those that are seeing the power of God. I mean, it's it's going to be huge, and it's going to be great. I'd like to say I'm looking forward to it, but I'm sorry, I'll be gone. I may be looking down from heaven upon it, but it's a really fabulous time. People are waiting for revival in America. I don't see that in Scripture. I can't find it in the Bible, but I can find the supernatural drawing of the Holy Spirit of God during the tribulation period. That is going to be fabulous. It's almost like a second chance. Amen? But you don't want to wait for that. Don't don't do that. It will probably cost you your life. Probably your head will be separated from the rest of your body. There will be great persecution. There will be great, great suffering going on. Make the decision to know Christ today and avoid that. Amen. And come home with us on the first bus. Thank you, Jesus. So remember, the end of the tribulation, and I'm talking about the kingdom, the millennial reign of Christ, right? I'm trying to get you prepared for that because it's really, it could be 10 years, 15 years down the road, maybe 20. It could be as early as eight years. So don't get stuck. So remember, the end of the tribulation, when Jesus returns to deal with the peoples who and the nations who are attacking Jerusalem, listen to this summary I found in Precept Austin. Jesus then begins to discuss his return on that day. It's in Matthew 24. Jesus then begins to discuss his return on that day. He gives this description. As lightning that comes from the east is visible, even in the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man be, Matthew twenty four twenty three and 27. Jesus is making clear that his return will be unlike that of anyone before him. He will come with speed, brightness, and power, and the whole earth will see him. He's making it clear that no demons, no angels, no supernatural cataclysmic event will ever rival the entrance of Christ as he comes back to claim kingship on his earth. Hallelujah. As soon as Jesus returns to the earth, he sets out to defeat this confederation of nations seeking to eliminate his beloved Israel. Remember the scenario here. The church has been taken out. We've got seven years of judgment on the earth. The wrath of God is released, and all the nations gather surrounding Israel at the battle of Armageddon, and the Lord Jesus Christ writes before they're about to be destroyed, he comes back. And what does he do? As mentioned in Zechariah 14, the reason that God draws all these people together in one place is so that he can battle them all at once, a strategy any commanding officer would appreciate. This battle isn't much of a struggle, as Revelation nineteen twenty-one describes the enemies of God being killed with the sword coming out of the mouth of the rider on the horse. The horse is white, the rider on the horse is Jesus Christ, and he destroys them with The word of God. Hallelujah. Jesus wins the victory simply by speaking. As the writer here says, game, set, and match. It is over. He has defeated his enemies. After this monumental victory over the attacking nations, Jesus will stand on a specific location. Where is he coming back? Zechariah 14.4 states, on that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, east of Jerusalem. And the Mount of Olives will be split in two from east to west forming a great valley with half of the mountain moving north and half of the mountain moving south. The Mount of Olives, it's a fitting place for Jesus to return. Not only will he be standing on the very mountain where he preached the Olivet Discourse to his disciples, but this is also the place where he ascended into heaven after his resurrection. So where he left is where he's returning. I love it. Hallelujah. And think about how big our God is, how big about Jesus is. He's going to just come back. His feet are going to touch the earth, and they're going to split the land where he stands. And the land where he stands just happens to be the Holy Mount of Olives. It's amazing. So the scene is set now for the great judgment, the judgment of nations that we see in Matthew 25. Remember, Matthew 25, verses 32, 33, and 34. This is right before we go into the millennial reign of Christ. It probably is included in the millennial reign of Christ, my personal Opinion is that the millennial reign of Christ begins as soon as his feet touch the Mount of Olives. That is it. He returns to the earth to assume lordship over the earth. It begins, but it begins with the judgment of nations. Matthew twenty five thirty two and thirty four. And before him shall be gathered all nations. Actually, it's not. This isn't a judgment of nations. He doesn't really judge nations. He judges the people of the nations. A better rendering of this would be the people of the Gentile nations. And he shall separate them one from another. Don't forget, Israel has just been judged. That's what the tribulation is all about. Now it's the Gentile nations, the people of the Gentile nations who are going to stand before Christ in the judgment. As a shepherd divides the sheep from the goats, Jesus will be separating them one from another. And he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come ye, blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. The enemies have been defeated, Christ is here, and judgment is about to begin. It will be important to note that Jesus isn't the only one doing the judging. Believers have been promised a role in the judgments of God throughout Scripture, even including the judgment of angels. It's why judgment in the church today is so important. And I don't want to drift and get off topic, but this is so important. 1 Corinthians 6, 3, Paul writing to the church at Corinthians. Know ye not that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? Paul was chastising them. They had a man who was sleeping with his stepmother. His father had remarried, and the kid, the son, and the wife were sleeping. And in Corinth at this time, they were seriously sexually depraved. Uh, matter of fact, they had such a reputation at that time throughout the region that if you were in a weird sexual relationship, if you were a fornicator, and adulterer, you were called something. You were said to be Corinthizing. That's how serious their sin was. And that was the reputation of the church at Corinth. And Paul is saying, what are you doing? They were almost proud of the fact that this guy was sleeping around with his stepmom, and he called him out. Not only did he call them out, but he kicked the guy out. He showed them how to judge. And he was chastising them. You guys have got bigger stuff to judge. you got to be able to get this stuff judged and get it right before you get into that other thing. Uh, I don't know how you're ever going to get there at this rate. You can't even make this judgment concerning holiness in the church. Well, the bottom line is Paul called him out. He kicked him out. And sure enough, in 2 Corinthians, we read where this man repented. What a wonderful example of judgment within the church and how it works. So Paul is rebuking the church at Corinth for their failure to judge sinners within. He's astonished at their inability to make the simplest of judgment. Here, while on the earth, sexual depravity in Christendom is wrong. He wonders how they're ever going to be able to make proper judgments in the future. Well, here we are at the end of the age and God has the church and the martyred saints prepped and ready to go. It's judgment time and paybacks backs are going to be tough. Now, let's see who's judging with the Lord. Revelation 20, verses 4 through 6. And I saw thrones, John writes, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus. They are the tribulation saints, the martyred saints, and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and they reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Verse 5, But the rest of the dead live not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. 6, Blessed and holy is he that has part in the first resurrection, on such the second death hath no power. But they who, the people that are on the thrones, the people who have been martyred for their faith, they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. So. Depending on your understanding of that thousand-year reign, my understanding is as soon as Christ's foot touches the Mount of Olives, that thousand-year reign of Christ begins, and the saints of God are ruling and reigning with him as well. It's unclear exactly when the saints sit on the throne with Christ. It's not specified, but I'm believing that as soon as Christ uh, sits in his throne at his return, that's when the saints actually go into the throne as well. So, does this occur at the judgment of nations? I believe so. Okay, so he's ready. He's pronouncing judgment, not standing. He's sitting. He's on his throne. We must understand that today, now, we, the church, are being tested. We're being tried. We're being trained. And we're being perfected for the work of the ministry. The work of the ministry is not just what you think it is here. We are continuing to work for Christ. We're always going to be working for Christ. The church, a very select group of people. Not just today's ministry for this age, but for ministry also in the ages to come, including the millennial age. We just read it. We will be priests of God and of Christ, and we shall reign with him a thousand years. That's a very specific promise. It gives you understanding that one of the aspects of the church's existence during this Millennial reign of Christ, we will be priests. That means we are coming between God and people for judgment. We are bringing them into the presence of God, like the Jewish priest in the Old Testament. And we shall also reign with him a thousand years. When we come back, probably next week, we're going to be talking about more specifically what the church is actually doing during that thousand years on the earth here. But for now, we're being tested and trained so that we can excel when we come back to do that. Paul was giving the Corinthian people a hard time. You can't even judge this. How on earth are you ever going to judge with Christ when he returns? The judgment of this world's wicked is an assignment Jesus will trust us with. Remember, the verse says, how's that go? Let's see. It talks about the fact that we are on the thrones. It's in Revelation 1, 7. Behold, Jesus, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him. And all the people of the earth will wail because of him, even so. So the people who pierced Christ, who cried for his crucifixion, who stuck the sword in his side, remember they wanted Barabbas released, and Pilate was willing to release Christ, but they said, no, 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 crucify him. Well, they stuck the spear in his side too. The people who pierced Christ, who cried for his crucifixion, they will also see him when he returns to the Mount of Olives, eye to eye, face to face. Well, the people who murdered the tribulation saints are going to have a similar experience, but this will be with the people they actually murdered. The murdered saints will be seated on Christ's throne with him, and they will be revealed to their murderers in all of their glory as well. Don't forget, they're going to have their glorified bodies. I cannot begin to explain to you the majesty that will be revealed in them as they partake of the judgment of these sinners while they're sitting on the throne with Jesus. I believe the greatest revelation that Satan has been able to keep from us as children of God is the truth of who we are, who we really are. That will be revealed as soon as the saints take their proper place in the throne of Jesus. I'm going to show you that in a minute. But first, Romans 8:19. You got to know who you are, saints. The earnest expectation of the creature or creation waits for the manifestation of the sons of God. The Amplified Classic is neat. It says, for even the whole creation, all of nature, Waits expectantly and longs earnestly for God's sons to be made known, waits for the revealing, the disclosing of their sonship. Do you hear that? All of creation is waiting expectantly. They are longing earnestly for us to show up as God's children. I believe we're supposed to be doing that now. But for those of us who are dragging our feet, That will be revealed for all of us when we get our glorified bodies, when we return with Christ to reign with him on his throne. It's actually in his throne. We'll get there in a minute. The CSB for the creation eagerly awaits with anticipation. You understand this? The birds know, the clouds know, the sun knows, the waters, the oceans, the fish, the solar system, the planets the weather knows. The grass sings about it. They are waiting for the children of God to be revealed in the glory of the sun. It is amazing. This is who we are. This is our future. This is what's ahead of us. This is the CEB, the Common English Bible. For the creation eagerly awaits with anticipation. The common, I don't know what this next one is, but it says, the whole creation waits breathless with anticipation. Look, the earth knows something's happening. They know something's going to take place, and they know it's good, and they're looking forward to it with anticipation. The easy-to-read version, everything that God made is waiting with excitement for the time when he will show the world who his children are. The whole world wants very much for this to happen. The New Matthew Bible says it like this, also, the fervent desire of creation, it endures, looking for when the sons of God will appear. This is who we are, guys, okay? And you do or are supposed to be doing everything you can to reveal to the world you are a child of God. You do that by representing Christ. And the last one, the NTE, yes, creation itself is on tiptoe with expectation. Wow. Eagerly awaiting the moment when God's children will be revealed. I mean... We have got to get a revelation of who we are. We've got to get a revelation of what God's done to us and for us, and now he wants to do in us and with us. Amen. The Bible says we're already seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. The Bible says we are kings and priests. The Bible talks about the fact that we're above and not beneath. We're the head and not the tail. I mean, all grace is abounded to us that we should be called the children of God. I mean, this is where we are, man, and we have got to start acting like it. You know, we got to know who we are. Don't get stuck in your situation. Well, you don't know what I'm going through. Whatever you are going through should not take you off your game or change your position as a child of God. No matter what it is, whether it's sin or sickness, grief or guilt, fear or failure, know who you are in Christ. You know, I'm hoping that a teaching on the millennial reign of Jesus will not only get a vision for you where you're heading, but will also give you an understanding for where you are now and how you are to be connected to that future. You know, you're going to be the same person you are in the millennial reign as you are now. Yes, you're going to have a different body. Yes, you're going to be glorified in part with Christ. You know, but I'm not just making these blanket statements and hope that they impress you and hope that they they are correct in what I'm saying. I want to prove to you what I'm saying. I want to show you. That's why I brought out those scriptures showing that the earth can't wait for you to show up. You know, we're in a mess down here on the earth. Well, if the church would show up, I believe we could have a greater impact than what we're doing right now. Revelation two twenty six and 27. And he that overcometh and keepeth my works unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations. That's a promise. He's talking to you. What do you got to do? I got to overcome. That's right. You got to overcome sin. You got to overcome the devil. You got to overcome the world and the flesh. You have got to be an overcomer and you will have power over over the nations. Revelation 3.21. I love this. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne. Not on my throne. In my throne. Even as I also overcame, said Jesus, and am set down with my father in his throne. Catch this language, guys. You just don't get to sit around here get assigned in a city uh, as a magistrate or uh, a shepherd or a priest. You're sitting in the throne of Jesus Christ. Let me help you with something here. You know, thrones, we think of thrones, right? What's a throne? A throne? It's a big chair with a lot of gold on it. No. <laughs> Let's talk about the throne of Christ. A quick note about Jesus' throne is found in Acts 7:49. Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. What house will you build me, saith the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? You know, David wanted to build a throne. He wanted to build a house for God. He wanted to create something for God because he loved him. And God says, whoa, heaven's my throne and the earth is my footstool. Think that through. He puts his feet on the earth to rest. You don't stand when you're in a throne. You sit seated down and you have a footstool. Well, the earth, think about how big that makes Jesus. The earth is where he rests his feet. Now, go back to the scripture. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne. Suddenly it dawns on me, that's a pretty big throne. There's room for all of us, whether it's a, a million saved, 10 million, a billion saved, there is room for us on the throne. But saints, you got to start acting like it now. You got to start believe that what he said is real, man. You know, we're kings and priests now. We're already seated in heavenly places now. We've been redeemed. Our names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. We're going to live forever with him in ministry, in service. Hallelujah. What I love about Scripture is seeing the promises of God being fulfilled. The Scriptures I'm reading in Revelation as I study a revelation, they're about to be fulfilled here at the end of the Age of Grace when the church goes into the millennial reign reign. Of God, of Jesus Christ on the earth. I love it. It's become a political expression, that thing that promises made, promises kept. We've used it for politicians. Well, guess what? They're false. But when Jesus makes a promise, he keeps it. And here we see it at the end of the age. And once again, I'm teaching this because it applies to you now to make sure that you're ready for the future service that you're having. So don't fuss when God's growing you. Sometimes growth is hard, it's painful. I get it. Amen. But you have to endure because God has a plan for you. You're going to be ruling and reigning with Christ Jesus on the earth. Those that have murdered people in the tribulation period will be judged by those who were murdered. I love it. God is a just God. You got to know that, man. And you got to start living by that now. This fallacy that the church isn't supposed to be judging anything is nonsense. It's new age, woke nonsense. Judge not that you be not judged. That's not what Jesus said we go around, well, Jesus said, don't judge. He said, I didn't come to judge the earth. Read the Bible. Learn what he's saying. When he says, I didn't come to judge the earth. Now we've meant this is not the time of judgment for final condemnation. He goes, I came here to offer you life. The time when I come back for judgment for final condemnation. That's what we're talking about today, saints. He said he would judge us finally, and he would condemn us if we rejected him. But... When he says judge not lest you be judged, he's not talking about don't judge, don't make judgments. We just showed you that Paul told them they had to judge. He's talking about don't condemn. It's a different thing. The world judges to condemn. The church judges to correct. It's light years apart. You're supposed to be judging everything and everyone for the purpose in the church of correcting them that we are a perfect and sinless body in the eyes before the Lord Jesus Christ. We have a job. The church can't discern anything anymore. We can't judge. We don't know the difference between right and wrong, good and evil. We've got to come out of our closet. We've got to go back and we've got to get in the word of God and start doing what the word of God has told us to do. Revelation twenty, verse four. And I saw thrones and I saw them that sat on them. In Revelation four we saw the twenty four elders sitting on the throne. I believe that was twelve apostles and twelve disciples. You had the twelve I'm sorry, the twelve tribes of Israel and the twelve disciples of Christ, the apostles. And there's a comment here, I think I got time to read it. No, I don't really. Well, Pick up on this next week. Let me let me pray for you. Like I said, I am trying to get you to understand the enormity of God's plan for your life. And it's not like you hang out here and you do what you can and then you die, you get to heaven, and then that plan kicks in. you're going to miss out. That's not how it works. You have got to be trained now. You've got to be tested now. There's a great scripture that talks about that uh, suffering is here on the earth, and it's not to make you worthy. It's to reveal your worthiness to you. you got to know who you are in Christ Jesus. you got to know you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. you got to be embracing the assignments through suffering and tribulation that he gives you right now to help prepare you for the wonderful future he's got for you, man. Father, I thank you for my brothers and sisters. I thank you their names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. I thank you that they are fearless, Father God. They walk worthy of the call of God in their lives unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, increasing and abounding in the knowledge of you, Father God. I thank you, Lord, that you'll keep them, that you'll protect them, Father. I thank you that you'll bring them to a place of supernatural understanding of the Word of God. Put in them a supernatural hunger for your Word. In Jesus' name,
1: amen.